0: From Decrypt Media, this is the Decrypt Daily, and my name is Matthew Diemer. Today on the show, we welcome the CEO of Voyager Digital, Steve Ehrlich, a publicly traded platform where you can earn interest on your crypto and stable coins. That's today on the Decrypt Daily. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. Today is Monday, October 4th, 2021. You knew I was going to have a rant about uh, the foundation. And... Was it just me or was that episode three super confusing to follow horrible edits horrible cuts kind of popped up in like different times and it wasn't really clear when you were watching or who you were watching. I did not like it one bit. I'm just not going to stop watching the show but I didn't like it one bit. Another show I started watching yesterday actually was the squid game a Korean show about like this weird game where people just get dead <laughs> if they fail the game. Um, pretty interesting very Korean. But it's worth a watch. It's on Netflix. Anyway, that's enough about my TV show watching. Let's talk crypto prices. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. And I'm recording this at 1130 Eastern Standard Time. Bitcoin is sitting at $47,499, down 1% in 24. Ethereum, $3,307, down 3.5%. Binance Coin, $418, down 2.6%. Cardano, down 4.6% 4.6% at $2.17, and Teller's in the number 5 spot. Rounding off the top 10, we have Solana, XRP, USDC, Polkadot, and Dogecoin. Total market cap were at $2.10 trillion, a BTC dominance of 42.6%, and an F dominance of 18.7. And I recorded this actually a half hour ago, but since I recorded it a half hour ago to now, the crypto space lost $40 billion. Yikes so I had to record it again now to coin of the day our coin of the day today is mushroom token ticker mush m-u-s-h its price is 54.5 cents it's down about a percent today market cap is 16.7 million dollars fully diluted market cap is 24.6 million dollars which means there's 68% of the total mush in circulation. You know, I think mush, if it's not dead, it's severely crippled. Uh, And the reason why I say that is because, okay, fine, you can get it on Uniswap, SushiSwap, and KuCoin, but on CoinMarketCap, none of the exchanges are listed. On CoinGecko, Uniswap is listed, but there is zero volume. And the all-time high price for mush was $108. It just went straight down. And that was only set in like February. And so, you know, eight months later, it went down to 55 cents. On CoinMarketCap, it says it's ranked 816. On CoinGecko, the rank is somewhere around uh, 2,400. It says the market cap for Mushroom Token, Mush, on Coin Gecko is around $385,000. Uh, it has $9 million in total locked value. But uh And CoinMarketCap, it's a totally different number. So I'm not too sure what's going on there. However, I went over to like their socials and I see that they only tweeted, their last tweet was like in August. And they said that, or Mushroom lives again because there's a million dollars in total uh, 24 hour volume, which I have no clue where that million dollars came from because right now it's reporting zero volume on both CoinMarketCap and CoinGecko. It looks as though it's just a community-based token. I don't know where the money came from. They were paying uh, rewards for tasks to be completed to register a domain which is actually a pretty cool way to to do this is like you'd help the community out and then you uh, get paid in the token uh, to compensate your work that you've done so translations registering a, a domain getting it listed on a dex you know doing a logo putting up a website, trying to get it on Huobi. These are different tasks that can be completed. Some were completed, some weren't completed. So you can be like rewarded 20,000 mush, which would, right now would be $10,000, but there's no liquidity and no volume. <laughs> Good luck selling it. If you get enlisted on Huobi, you can get that reward. Now, if it was $108 per mush <laughs> and you got 20,000 of those, you'd be very happy to put in this work. But the only thing I can find that mush is, is a community-driven digital currency. And basically, they just, I don't know, just say all the tag words, all the taglines. It's uh, really yours. It's secured by cryptography. It's uh, no centralized control. It's peer-to-peer payments. It's, it's a more private currency. It's open to anyone. And I would say that if you like all of those aspects, there's Bitcoin. There's Litecoin. Um, those are two that have been around forever, and they do pretty much the same thing. One is light of bit, <laughs> and people would probably be mad that I said Litecoin in in the same sentences Bitcoin, but just use Bitcoin, use Bitcoin, frig it, Dogecoin. Anyway, it seemed as though they were trying to just make a community, make a pump coin, make something, make a meme. Uh, the whole website's memes, but it doesn't seem much like. Well, it just, it, there's nothing there, of course. Of course. I'm probably going to get an email saying, I hold mush and there's all kinds of stuff. It's a vibrant community. Oh, okay, okay. Send me an email, Aaron at decrypt.co. Let me know about Mushroom Token. In our conversation today, I talked to the CEO of Voyager Digital. Now, Voyager, I use the service. They pay 9% APY on your USDC. And I get a chance to ask the CEO the questions that I have about the service. Is this too good to be true? Well, you hear his answer right now. Steve Ehrlich, CEO of Voyager Digital. Welcome to the show, sir.
1: Uh, Thanks for having me. I appreciate being here today.
0: I appreciate you coming on. In all disclosures, I have money on Voyager. I'm a Voyager user. And so I want everybody to understand that before I start asking the questions. And my first question is, you know, I'm getting paid some really good interest uh, on Voyager. Is this unimaginable to think that a bank could do the same?
1: Look, we have a rewards program set up that allows you to earn some yield on over 30 coins uh, just by holding the coins on our platform. Uh, So is it sustainable for us? Yeah. Can banks do it? Absolutely. I think banks should be doing it uh, for consumers. Uh, I think that the rewards we give is something banks can do and should be doing if they have their customers best interest at at heart.
0: What is preventing banks from then doing that? Because I mean, honestly, it's, it's only an upside for both parties, I would assume. Uh, what, what is the breakdown between the bank and the customer that I guess the crypto space is trying to uh, fill in?
1: You know, crypto is all about community and decentralization and bringing the power back to the people, right? I think that's the big difference between banks and companies like Voyager is we want people in the ecosystem. We'll make our money on the trading side of it and other products we will bring to the market. Uh, we're just bringing value back to consumers. And I think that's the big differential between banks and crypto companies. Crypto companies work for the consumer. Banks are not necessarily working for the consumer.
0: Look, Voyager has been having a huge year in growth, actually a huge couple of years of growth. Can you tell me about how this is affecting you, the way that you're running business and how that, I guess, people are perceiving the company as of right now?
1: Yeah, it's been an amazing couple of years for us, especially in the last nine months. We've gone from Uh, 150,000 users on the platform to somewhere over 2 million users in literally nine months. uh, I don't know another company. Uh, We've been asked that. Have we been able to find another company that's grown that fast, that quick? I haven't found one yet. But I think from our perspective, by keeping, as I said earlier, by keeping the customer first, that is what's been able to help drive our growth. We're only working for our customer as a product. I mean, that is our number one focus. We run by these rules that my dad told me. Rule number one, the customer's always right. Rule number two, when the is wrong, refer to rule number one. That's how we operate our business. Now, we work for multiple constituencies, investors, token holders, etc. But in the end, the customer makes our business. We focus on our customer.
0: You guys are publicly traded. Is that correct?
1: That is correct. We're on the Toronto Stock Exchange and the OTC markets in the US.
0: And so are you a US or a Canadian company?
1: Well, the public companies, you know, in Canada with their registered location in Vancouver, but most of our business, if not all our businesses in the U S today.
0: And that's where my next question uh, comes in publicly traded in Canada. And then uh, you have a lot of U.S. users. Does that have any kind of, uh, I guess, regulatory troubles or or hurdles that you have to come across? And as a customer, if you're publicly traded in one country and people are using it in the other country, does that pose any, I guess, uh, conflicts of interest for the customer base that you have and the uh, shareholders or, or stakeholders in the company?
1: The answer to that is no. I mean, the it's actually more transparent for customers. It doesn't matter what exchange you're listed on. There's thousands of co- companies in the world that list on one exchange and have their main business in a different country. But being a public company brings transparency to consumers. So whether we're in the US or Canadian markets, you see that the assets that we have for customers are actually there, audited once a year, and reviewed by auditors on a quarterly basis. So our numbers are valid. We're transparent. Everything is there for a consumer to see, which is extremely important in this industry. Because there's only one other company that is public that does something similar to us that can say that.
0: And what company is that? I can't say them. I can't give them free airtime. <laughs> they're they're big enough.
1: They're big enough as it is. They don't need me giving them airtime. But they know who 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 we are.
0: As I said at the beginning of this, I said that I'm a user of um, app and your services. And the reason why I asked those other questions about the conflict of interest and the hurdles and so on and so forth is because I want to know about security. Because look, when you talk about APY, when you talk about the product that you have for your customers, the thing that a lot of people, because we're not used to it, because we use banks and we get 0.03% interest, if we're lucky on our savings accounts, He was like, is this too good to be true? And what if, as we know, this is the crypto space, uh, hacks happen and, and mistakes happen all the time. How confident how secure is this service for a, a customer I'm, I'm asking this because look what kind of recourse do i have as an american if it's a publicly traded uh, canadian co- company what kind of uh, security can i have as a customer to use this because i see these uh, this interest rates this, this this rate of return that is unfathomable in this modern time
1: yeah a couple of things one is we're public you know the primary exchange is canada but we also are on the OTC market. So we're required to file financials in the OTC markets portal as well. So we do have publicly filed statements there. Additionally, we're regulated by FinCEN and all the states in the US. So we have a lot of regulation that we abide by. Uh, So you're comfortable from all that aspect. US customers should feel extremely comfortable just from that perspective. But from a security perspective, we have a top-notch security team we custody the assets over six different custodians. Uh, we also lend this, you know, the coins to certain uh certain players, big guys, Galaxy Digital, Alameda, Jump Capital. So we're sending coins to really secure billion dollar companies as well. And all that information is again in our public company financial statement. So people can see how much is, is lent out versus how much we keep with our custodians. So we've put together a model where the risk and six custodians rather than one singular custodian that all other people have. So we've put this risk uh, over multiple, but we also have top of the notch security.
0: If my money or my USDC that was, that's on a Voyager was happened to be lost. None, no fault of my own, obviously. Um, and, and it was just like hacked from the company. Is, is that something that you guys would reimburse?
1: We have insurance policies in place uh, for that. And, you know, and so we would uh, effectuate and put those in place.
0: Now I'm obviously, Totally just uh, asking you questions that are in my benefit because uh, yep. I'm, I'm looking at this as a user, as a customer of your services. But now I want to know about like the future of crypto payments. What do you think about the future of your industry and this industry in general?
1: Oh, man, I'm so excited about crypto payments. Uh, we bought a company August 1st out of Denmark called Coinify. Uh, They will effectuate payments in merchant systems, whether it's PSPs or direct to merchants. I think consumers will start spending the USDC stablecoin in record paces coming up. If you give them the opportunity for merchants to receive it that way and convert that to dollars immediately like Coinify does, you're going to see payments in the digital space and the crypto space just take off over the next couple of years. We're super bullish on that side of the business.
0: How do you think that this is changing the idea of a bank, idea of savings, idea of hodling?
1: Hey, I think everybody becomes their own bank. I think that's really the key here is that, you know, what we said earlier, crypto is for the people. It comes back to, you know, who's getting the value. It's your money, right? When money goes into a bank, all of a sudden you've lost access to it. You can't get it on a Saturday or Sunday, you can't move it. You can take certain amount out from the ATM. So it's really access back to people and you become your own bank. And that's, you know, we're setting the infrastructure. Uh, We're obviously a centralized broker but adding decentralized functionality over time and giving more and more power back to the people.
0: What do you think about the governments around the world? Look, we know China's stance on cryptocurrencies and their idea of CBDCs and stable coins and so on and so forth. I think that the U.S. and the U.K. and Canada, Canada is actually a little bit more progressive and bullish with this. But in the U.K. UK and the U.S., we're still trying to figure out how, how this is all going to fit in, how this is all going to be regulated. What do you think that the U.S. should do right now when it comes to, USDC, stable coins, and maybe a CBDC?
1: Look, I think regulation is actually really good for the industry because it will you know, spearhead adoption, even accelerate adoption to a, a large degree. Uh, I think when it comes to a USDC, I think um, I'm reading a bunch about there being rules in place about being you know 100% backed by dollars and so forth. And I think we're going to get rules there. And that is actually a good thing. The government should do central bank digital currency, and I think they will. I think it's going to take time. Obviously, other countries have a lead on the U.S., but that will come. And again, it's all about how consumers want to use the payment systems, and we're going to get there. I I think all regulation to that is is really good for the industry.
0: Why do you think a government should do, use or or convert to a CBDC central bank digital currency?
1: Well, I look at it and say that you know I know there's a lot of people that say well that's bad because that means they can track everybody's payments, etc. Uh, so there's that negative point, but we're working in a digital world anyway. And I think if you have a central bank digital currency that could move money 24-7, 365, that's a really good thing for consumers. There's no reason for money to be tied up like it is today in banks or traditional brokers. And so I think the CBDC will actually lead towards that.
0: In your previous answer, you said something that I really want to touch on for a minute. You said regulations. And I on this show, I usually try to frame the that question or that statement as regulations versus frameworks. As regulations are putting restrictions on certain companies or certain aspects of a company or an industry, and a framework is a frame uh, from the government to allow it to grow. When you said regulations, do you mean that you think there should be restrictions on the industry or more of a framework of how the industry should grow? And if that's the case, what do those frameworks look like from a government?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's a framework that will become into regulation because I think it is incumbent upon parties uh, like ourselves and the public companies that do this because we're transparent. Net capital rules, things in place that you know where you're putting your money. And if you're, you're handing over your money to us to go buy crypto for you, you want to make sure we're holding it. You want to make sure we have enough reserves, uh, insurance. You want to make sure all these things are in place. And I think a framework starts the regulation for that. And I've seen some proposals on that. And the initial framework will lead us to regulation that you know companies like ours have to file with the government to show that we're, we're solvent. I mean, there's so many of these exchanges and wallets and, that are out there. You have no idea if they're solvent. You know two companies are solvent because we file public company statements.
0: What is in the future for Voyager?
1: Yeah, I mean, we touched a lot on banks and we're deep into the development of our debit card. I'm actually looking at it on my desk right here right now. Uh, the first version of the debit card to allow consumers to pay, you know, earn their rewards in USDC, use that as, you know, through the debit card rails and be able to make payments. Uh, That's close uh, and getting to the marketplace. Uh, We'll test it first with employees and friends and family and then bring it out to the marketplace. Working on a desktop version of our, our platform, a dark mode of our platform. And then obviously the big one is Uh, Two big ones is get international. We have a licensed entity in Europe that we can use for Europe. Uh, We're close in Canada to get licensed. And then we're going to bring stock trading to the platform in 2022.
0: So just let me summarize this. Um, Your platform right now, your app offers a 9% if I'm correct APY on USDC. Am I correct with this?
1: Yeah, we offer nine percent reward on the uh, on USDC. Yep. Well,
0: first of all, that's just astounding, amazing. Congratulations uh, again. People are probably wondering, is this too good to be true? That's why I've asked the previous questions, yeah. and now you're going to be able to put your USDC in there, earn in interest on your USDC, nine percent. Let's just say at this point of talking right now, today, October fourth, Monday, and now we'll be able to spend that USDC with a debit card.
1: That's a hundred percent accurate. That is our goal to allow people to use USDC to pay, go swipe their debit card, paying for gas, paying for dinner, swipe it, and you'll be earning all the way up. You earn those rewards all the way up to the point of swipe.
0: Everybody who listens to this show knows that I lie about the last question. This is my last question. That sounds like the future of banking. That sounds like the future of what I want to do with my money and the flexibility and the and, that I want to have with my banking. Why do you think a government, because we see this in the United States when it comes to other lending platforms or platforms that pay you an APY on your USDC or stable coins, Why do you think a government would be against this?
1: Great question. I would I would ask uh, you know the government to come on and answer that question for you. Uh, I think if you give the customers the information that we do and give them the investor protection with our net capital that we have and being transparent with everything, uh, the government should be comfortable with that uh, because the investor has all the protection that they need to do that. And so I think that's a good question for regulators. Uh, and I think they'll answer that over time when they put some rules in place. But anything that brings value back to consumers should be something that's spearheaded and looked to as valuable. Because remember, more money that is that, that consumers earn means more money spent in the economy. And that's a good thing for us. It's not a negative. We need money to be spent in the economy to keep it running, uh, especially at the levels we are today.
0: Steve Ehrlich, CEO of Voyager Digital. Thanks for coming on the show and talking about Voyager.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it.
0: Moving into today's headlines. Numerous cryptocurrency investors in Japan have underreported their taxes, failing to pay as much as $12.6 million, according to a report from local news publication Nikkei. A substantial part of that unaccounted gain comes from ADA or Cardano, roughly around $6 million of it. And the only thing I couldn't find in this article, I, here's what I found in the article. It said that most of these gains are coming from the rise of Cardano going up to like $3. Of course, we're falling down to you know, $2 and some odd cents today. But they said because of that Cardano pump. However, what it doesn't say in the article is how Japanese uh, capital gains taxes work. In the U.S., we would have to wait till year's end and then we report the gains after cashing out. It wouldn't come in the middle of the year unless they do like a quarterly filing. So I'm kind of confused why they're saying that there's underreported, even though it's just in Q4, unless they do quarterly, and or maybe they have a different tax cycle than we do. I'm not too sure. All I know is that $6 million is coming from Cardano Gains, and they're underreporting $12.6 million. If you are Japanese listening to this show, which we do have some, please make sure you're paying your taxes. We don't want to see you get in trouble. Edward Snowden, he tweets, Sometimes I think back and wonder how many people bought Bitcoin then. Talking about BTFDing back in March 2020 when Bitcoin plummeted because of COVID lockdowns to something like, I don't know, what was it, like $4,000? It's up 10x since, he says, despite the coordinated global campaign by governments to undermine public understanding of and support for cryptocurrency. China even banned it, but it made Bitcoin stronger. Long story short is Snowden is bullish, and I can't agree more. China banning Bitcoin and the hash rate and the hashing power, the miners moving out of China was the best thing for decentralization, was the best thing for Bitcoin, and was the best thing for the security of the blockchain. I am so happy that happened, and it makes me super bullish on the Bitcoin network for years to come. And finally, Compound's founder, Robert Leshner, called the bug in his protocol smart contract a moral dilemma. Why? Because it's leaking money out of comp. If you guys remember yesterday, 68 million dollars or 202 thousand comps was moved from its reservoir to its comptroller. The same thing happened a week ago. 280 thousand comp was sent to the wrong users. And well, you know what? Basically, it's a vending machine of free cash, an ATM just sitting there right now with 409 thousand comp or 160 million dollars just waiting for somebody to start siphoning that to another wallet. Why is this a big problem? Because changes to the smart contract take a week to approve. So right now, when they're trying to say, hey, let's fix this bug and figure out what's happening, or even if they have a solution, you need a week to fix it. And right now, you have just comp sitting there, waiting for somebody just to suckle on the teat of millions of dollars. Oh, but never fear. They have their new high-tech blockchain security solutions in place. Twitter. Where they go on Twitter and just say, please, 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 please send back the millions and dollars of comp that you took from us. And it's not just for free. Of course, they're going to get something in return. They're going to get an exclusive NFT for sending back millions of dollars. Well, I'm really happy that we have proper solutions in place in the blockchain and crypto space for poorly written smart contracts. That was sarcasm if you didn't get that. That was sarcasm. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Deemer. Don't forget to go to Apple Podcasts, like, subscribe, share, leave us a comment, and you can send me an email, matthewarron at decrypt.co. And until tomorrow, happy hodling, everyone.